Following the pandemic, the government created a lot of money and the market is still trying to figure out how to fit 10 pounds of bologna uh, in a two pound bag. It's clear that market agents, including ourselves, underestimated the amount of fiscal stimulus and the time it takes to absorb that size. My sense is that we're closer to the end of that extraordinary support and the longer real interest rates stay up here, then there's a greater risk of, an, of a financial accident happening. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to another IBKR podcast. My name's Andrew Wilkinson. This week's guest is Revue Capital's Chief Investment Officer, Neil Azus. Welcome back, Neil. Andrew, thank you for having me and great to be here with you ahead of the first Federal Reserve meeting in 2024. Indeed, we are going to be talking about events, the economy and the markets surrounding the January FOMC meeting. Now, for regular listeners, Neil has been a, a stalwart with us uh, into every FOMC meeting last year and the year before. Uh, and we did that primarily because we're in a tightening cycle. Neil, for much of 2023, your playbook depicted an, an end to monetary tightening and the onset of a loosening cycle. And not a lot really deviated from that script, to be honest. So as we head into the January FOMC press conference, where, where do you see us now? Sure, Andrew. Before commenting on what the market is pricing heading into the January 31st Fed meeting, I think it's essential to first understand how we got here. So in early December, the Fed introduced, or should I say reintroduced, their workhorse model called the Taylor Rule. Specifically, the Fed has used the Taylor Rule framework for decades to understand what the Fed funds rate should be. Today, if you insert the two major inputs into the Taylor Rule, which are the current level of inflation and the unemployment rate, it says that the Fed funds rate should be below 4.5% versus 5.5% currently. So in that spirit, at the December 13th Fed meeting, just over a month ago, the committee added three quarter percent interest rate cuts by September into their infamous dot plot. If you fast forward to now, the market is pricing about 1% of cuts by September with a 50-50 chance of the first cut beginning in March. So at the same time, Andrew, the market's pricing in two additional quarter point cuts between September 24 and January 2025 for a total of one and a half percent of cuts or six cuts at a rate of a quarter percent each time. And this, Andrew, begs the question, why is the market getting out in front of the Fed? And to me, that answer is pretty simple. Firstly, at this pace, the trajectory of inflation is set to fall closer to one and a half percent by June. And there's also at the same time an expectation of a continued slow deterioration in the job market, which ultimately will raise the unemployment rate. So the Taylor rule would show an even lower Fed funds rate if that plays out. And secondly, if the Fed raised interest rates by 0.75 percent four times in a row during the hiking cycle, Andrew, who is to say that each cut should only be a quarter percent now. Why not a half a percent or one percent along the way? Meaning there has to be some risk premium built in for that outcome. And then 
This is pretty basic, Andrew. Finally, once you start doing something, it's pretty hard to stop. So if they start cutting, it's difficult to stop. So that that's the market setup heading into next week's Fed meeting, Andrew. Well, in the here and now, and I think I asked you the same question in November, is the current policy setting correct? Are we at the right level of did they did the Fed do enough to get us to, to get the economy to slow down? So, Andrew, our Federal Reserve investment process uh, here at Rareview Capital is based on probabilistic outcomes. It's quantitative. We don't generally take a subjective or qualitative opinion on Fed policy or try to be a speech whisperer after every committee member speaks. That said, since you're asking me for an opinion, I'm happy to provide one. I just want to put that caveat out there about how we go about things. So in that spirit, I believe the Fed knows uh, it was way behind the curve when it came time to raise interest rates, and they don't want to repeat that mistake when it comes time to cutting interest rates. So by being preemptive <clears throat> or forward thinking, they're increasing their chances of engineering, quote unquote, a durable soft landing this time around. Secondly, as mentioned numerous times in the past on your show, the average time it takes to cut an interest rate is about six and a half months after the last hike. So in this instance, the last hike was at the July 25th meeting last summer. So that triangulates to around February 5th for the first cut. The market is pricing, as I mentioned, a 50-50 uh, chance at the March meeting of that first cut. So that's pretty close. You know, that's close enough for government's work, especially when you consider that the Fed now has eight meetings per year, but historically they only had four quarterly meetings. Also, it's also important to note, Andrew, that the Fed has historically cut interest rates 2.4 times faster than it raises rates because they have to recalibrate policy fast to counteract the financial accident that they created. And then finally, just more philosophically, uh, Andrew, I think it's long overdue that they reintroduce the Taylor rule. If inflation does indeed undershoot their 2% target by June, they can easily fall back on that economic framework. And at the same time, it speaks to a return of normal policy instead of the extraordinary policy that they introduced after the global financial crisis. Meaning as an investor, I would rather operate in those traditional frameworks that use the Taylor rule than continue to think about policy in NERP or ZERP or QE or QT and forward guidance or whatever alphabet stoop program they wanna label it. Said differently, Andrew, I welcome the old days of policy and what we look like we're going back to because it means it separates true market practitioners from those who got a free ride for a long time on these extraordinary policies that certainly, in my opinion, have overstayed their welcome. Well, Neil, let me push back a little bit here. I mean, stocks during January spent the time setting record highs, at least in the case of the S&P 500. We've seen consumer confidence rebound and Bond yields themselves stopped begging for an imminent cut in rates, as you've just kind of outlined there. Talk to me a little bit about the development of the U.S. economy. And are we still left to see part of that monetary tightening bite harder? Andrew, I'm humble enough to say that I do not know the answer to that question with, pre with precision. But here's what I think I know. Following the pandemic, the government created a lot of money and the market is still trying to figure out how to fit 10 pounds of bologna uh, in a two pound bag. It's clear that market agents, including ourselves, 
underestimated the amount of fiscal stimulus and the time it takes to absorb that size. My sense is that we're closer to the end of that extraordinary support. And the longer real interest rates stay up here, then there's a greater risk of, an, of a financial accident happening. Here's what I mean by that, Andrew. Back in 2006, 2007, the real interest rate or the difference between the nominal interest rate and inflation never reached more than one and a half percent. Today, Andrew, that spread is closer to three and a half percent. All I know is that the Fed is two percent tighter in quote unquote real terms than they ever have been in the past. At some point, that restrictive policy has to bite. And I believe the Fed knows this, and that's why they reintroduced the Taylor Rule. So to my surprise, and hopefully to everybody's delight, it appears that the Fed so far has engineered a soft landing. Yes, Andrew, there are risks that the economy veers off the runway into resurgent inflation or even a recession. But for now, those risks seem balanced and they're not unusually high. Therefore, the Fed does deserve a lot of credit and we should start cutting interest rates soon in line with their traditional economic framework being the Taylor Rule. All right, then. So beginning of the year, where should an investor put money? Buy stocks at new highs or buy bonds in anticipation of easier policy later in 2024? My answer to that, Andrew, is and, and what we have been doing here at Rareview Capital is buying both stocks and bonds. On the stock side, we want to own global index beta as the S&P 500 breaks out of a two-year range. And when we combine the price to earnings ratio for the S&P 500, including the average of the trailing PE, the forward PE, or the CAPE, that composite is materially below the dot-com bubble and the pandemic liquidity peak. Therefore, we believe the index can appreciate based on that valuation potential. Secondly, this is important, but the overriding driver of stock market multiples during this period is really inflation, or in this case now, disinflation. Uh, the historical precedent, Andrew, says that if, if CPI falls near the Fed's 2% target over the next 6 to 12 months, the S&P multiple can expand by 2 to 4 more points. In this instance, it's on its way to below 2% and may undershoot. So who's to say that that multiple does not expand even more than that 2 to 4 points that historically has occurred? And then, Andrew, also to seek to generate some additional upside, we have overweight positions at the style level in U.S. small caps. And at the country level, we really like Japanese equities and Indian small caps. And then finally, on the stock side, um, we believe it's pertinent to add exposure to segments of the market that utilize leverage, such as mortgage REITs and closed-end funds. Very simply, as financing costs drop following Federal Reserve interest rate cuts, those types of products should get an added boost. On the bond side, Andrew, there's no need to overthink things. If the Fed is cutting rates, you want to sell out of your T-bills or cash-like instruments and buy longer dated fixed income, such as a three to five-year bond. And additionally for us, you know, if you have this capability, we have added exposure to the U.S. Treasury yield curve steepening. We believe that the yield curve coming out of the deepest inversion in history will be, quote-unquote, the alpha trade of the year in fixed income. And finally, I'd just like to leave you with this reminder. You only get one chance to come out of a rate hiking cycle, so don't squander it by overthinking it when it becomes when it comes to being long bonds now. My guest today has been Neil Azus, CIO and founder at Review Capital. A huge thanks for joining me again today, Neil. 
My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you for having me and best of luck in 2024. Thank you. And the same to you. And folks, if you enjoyed today's edition, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you download your podcast from. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice.